equipment, the, the, the way that we might go. Make it life to us. Not something we have to do, but something that comes alive in us that we begin to live out every single day. And in the living out of that life with you, we begin to let others know how much you love them, that they too can receive that life and live it out every single day. So help us, strengthen us, guide us, teach us, even tonight as we hear the word, God. Open our ears to hear what you're saying to every heart and life. And we'll give you the glory and the honor, the praise and the thanksgiving for what will be accomplished in every heart and life by your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Good evening, church. How are you this evening? Praise the Lord. Why don't you greet four or five people around you? Tell them that you're glad that they're here. Praise the Lord. Welcome. Uh, happy Mother's Day once again to all the moms. Any moms that weren't here this morning, happy Mother's Day. And, um, and we hope you had a, a great day spending with your family. Um, outside as you leave, you can, we have a, a photo wall out there. You can get a picture with the family. Uh, remember this Mother's Day. And we trust that it was a great one. Um, praise the Lord. It's always great to celebrate the ones who brought us into this world. And um, I believe Pastor Tasha said this morning, she always likes to say it, where would we be without our mothers? I know you have to think about that for a while, um, but you would not be here. Not just not here, in the present in this place, but you would not be here. So, glory to God. We just have a couple of uh, announcements that we want to make to you. Uh, again, the Golf Classic is coming up, our Golf Classic um, uh, benefits the preschool and uh, the things you know that tuition doesn't take care of. We're trying to keep tuition where we can, and so uh, this raises money, helps them with uh, some things that it takes to operate the preschool every single day. So these flyers are out there. So if you know a place, a business, something uh, where you can post this up, let people's know, people's people know about that. Uh, you can pick that up in the foyer. Also, Wednesday night, Jesse Duplantis is going to be here. You don't want to miss that. Um, and uh, doors open at 6 o'clock, and we've been getting a lot of calls from all over the region of people who want to know when it is, so we don't know what to expect crowd-wise, so you might want to get here early and uh, make sure that you're you know, not, not pushed out, don't have a seat. Uh, you can be here and get a seat. That'll be great. And then next week, uh, uh, on Sunday, all three services, Joe Morris is going to be with us, and uh, that'll be great. How many of you have never been in a service with Joe Morris? All right, a few of you, many of you have. So you know, uh, right now I know uh, many people are talking, and he has a, uh, a podcast about uh, the end times, and so that's always interesting. He's got a very a positive outlook in, in the coming of the Lord Jesus and the end days that we live in, the signs of the time, but uh, he also ministers on other things uh, that are really powerful, and so you want to be here as we come together. And um, then men, July 14th and 15th, uh, sign up, go on to the app and sign up right now. Again, it's very vital that you sign up, tell people to sign up. We're trying to get a number and uh, we don't want to fall behind the ladies. <laughs> right. So as you know, when you're here, every time we have a ladies conference, we get down to about the last week and there's still just a few. And then they all sign up at the last moment. And so men, we don't want to be procrastinators. <laughs> we want to go ahead and we want to sign up right now. And, uh, I'm just appealing to your sense of competition. <laughs> so uh, 
show me, guys, that you, you uh, have that sense of competition. Let's go ahead and get registered. Uh, it's going to be a great conference. Addison is going to be here. Our theme is Pure Power, and uh, that's going to be a great time. And then the Sunday following that, Addison will be with us to minister to the whole church. And so we have these uh, gifts in the body come to minister to you, to help equip you. Uh, you know, I, I, I quit saying this because people seem to think, you know, it makes me feel bad or something. So they always tell me, you know, you serve us a great meal. But, you know, we have, just like daily, Mom, you know, you have meat and potatoes, but on special occasions you go out and maybe you have a gourmet meal or something special. And so uh, we get spiritual gourmet meals, special uh, gifts coming in to feed you. And so you don't want to miss those times. Uh, they're great times together. If you weren't here this morning, weren't prepared with your local church tithes and offerings, I want to give you an opportunity to give. If you're making out a check, make it out to New Creation Church. Give them by cash or debit or credit card. Raise your hand. The ushers will give you an envelope. There's also a number up there you can give by text. If you're watching online, you can go on to our website, go to the Give button, follow the prompts there, and uh, uh, give. We are so thankful for your generosity and all that it does to facilitate not only ministry here uh, on the campus, amongst the children, amongst the youth. Uh, it helps us in every area that, that we minister in. Uh, there's ministry going on, on in the jail uh, every single Sunday, every week. We're ministering at the extended table. Uh, we have missions all over the world, so things are going on uh, to benefit people uh, all over, and we couldn't do it without your generosity and your help, and so we're appreciative of that. We're believing with you that, uh, as the Bible says, every need is met according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, that things are restored. This is a year of restoration and wholeness for you, and uh, we move towards that place. You know, Alan has been talking a lot about restoration and getting out of debt. And, uh, you know, the last time that was on his heart a lot, I mean, it was very big on his heart, was right in the middle of the, uh, the boom, the oil boom and all that stuff. And they're, t they're saying, you know, this is going to go on for 10 more years. And he's just saying, you know, I'm standing up here saying, you know, God wants us in this place. God wants to bless us. It's a good time to get out of debt. And everybody's like, we don't have to get out of debt, man. This is going to go on for 10 years. And all of a sudden, overnight, <clears throat> And all of a sudden, we had that crisis. People are walking away from their house, you know, short selling, doing all that stuff, getting all uh, in, in a thing. Well, if we would have listened for about five years, he said that. You'd been positioned perfectly in, 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 a, in a place like that. Amen? So uh, we always want to have ears to hear, you know, not just go, well, that's just Alan coming. But, you know, when God puts something on uh, people's hearts and ministering to us, look at that and say, hmm, I wonder, God, are you saying something to me uh, about getting out of debt? What's to come? Because God always knows what is to come. Right. He doesn't he didn't get caught by surprise with the economic crash. Right. The real estate crash, all that stuff. He didn't get caught by surprise. Thank you for your enthusiasm. So he sees the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. So when we hear something like that, you know, restoration, you know, it's time to just, you know, everything, get out of debt, move forward. God's looking to restore that. We want to hear that and go, OK, I'm in. Want to have those things restored, come back, uh, get out of debt. Get into a place where I'm really ready for what's next. I'm not struggling with moving forward because I'm held by something in the past. Amen? Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for every opportunity that we have to give. Father, we thank you. It expresses our knowledge and understanding of this great covenant that we have with you. That everything that you have belongs to us and everything that we have belongs to you. It's a divine exchange. And you said we could acknowledge that covenant through bringing our tithes and our offerings before you. And we do that, acknowledging that covenant. You said when we'd bring in our tithes and our offerings, you'd open up the windows of heaven. So in acknowledging that what you've given us belongs to you, you open up and reciprocate in that very covenant, pouring out upon us, you said, blessing that there'd not be room enough 
to receive it. So we just thank you. We call every single person blessed in, in Jesus' name, supplied for, that you supply every single need according to your riches in glory, not according to uh, the economy of the day, but according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Open your Bibles to Ephesians, the first chapter. Ephesians, the first chapter. And uh, we have been, uh, for a few weeks now on Sunday night, opening up uh, Ephesians and looking at the Bible. Don't you just love the Bible? (laughs) Don't you just love the Bible? Now, I know I say that, and a lot of Christians love the Bible as it sits on their nightstand, but it's really ineffective, right? Right? So, you know, in the midst of a battle, whatever weapon you have, if you left it at home on the nightstand, it would not be very effective. You could talk about all of the, the weapons, all of the guns that you have, uh, no matter what it is, and you could say, I, I, I got it in the gun cabinet at home, but wherever you need that, you know, whether it's hunting or whatever, it's in the gun cabinet at home, it's not really uh, effective where you are. And so the Bible, the Bible gives us such resource for life. It is the Word of God. It is, it's alive. It may look like words on a page, even when you sit down naturally to read it, and you say, well, I read it, and it's kind of boring, uh, and, and it puts me to sleep. Well, that can depend on where you're reading, but at some point in time, when you begin to really understand that this, this is really a God speaking to me. This is the Holy Spirit giving me instruction for life. He's giving me uh, things to rest upon that as I take those in, He'll expound upon them. He'll expand them and really teach me how to live this new God kind of life. It's not a religion. It's not just, well, i got to read that, and now I really have to be diligent to to press in and see if I can do that. He says, no, I want to reveal it to you. And then after it's revealed to you that you should walk in this direction, not only will I reveal to you that direction, but I'll help you walk in it if you'll understand who I am and yield to me. And so the word is just incredibly powerful. And so when we, you know, begin to just look in in different times where we take apart a a book of the Bible, it's not just so you can sit here and go, hmm, you know, that's good, that filled the Sunday night. No, it's to start listening, to, to maybe gain some interest, to go home and start reading it. One thing we don't want to do, which many people do with the Word of God, is they study it in depth for debate, right? They study it to, to argue it. They study it to see if this nuance, you got it just right. I've studied the Greek and the Hebrew. I've dug deep, and that one word, you got it wrong. Well, you know, we could do that, but... You know, people do deep study as to what translation would be the right translation. And and man, if just on the major translations, if you just picked one and lived what you could get out of it, you'd probably be doing really, really good. A lot of people study so deep, but they don't even live what the Bible says. And really, if God made it so difficult that you had to dig so deep into it, intellectually, to get it, it would, it would overwhelm even what God did in Christ Jesus. And in fact, most of the, the, the books that we read, most of these churches that were raised up in the day that they were raised up, they were raised up in a pagan, uh, a religious type of environment. 
And so within that environment, many times the Greek intellectuals were higher, you know, if you were intellectual like the Greeks and, and understood all their gods, that you could really find a place with those gods. If you were uh, Jewish, if you understood, you were like the priesthood, you understood all the nuances of the law, you were worthy. You know, Gnostics, they understood uh, so many things about life in, in that realm. But so many of them said, here, when you know all of this stuff and you're intellectual or you're super religious and you know all that you achieved at this high level but all the rest of you not so much and when Jesus stepped on the scene he said listen whosoever will whosoever will so there's a point you know we don't just throw it aside but there's a point in intellectualism where you get too smart for your own good there's a point in religion where you become so religious or so uh, religiously minded that you're no earthly good. You're no uh, good really just in the operation of it. But when we just take the Word of God and we begin to digest it by the Spirit of God, it's life. He said this Word is, is breathed by the Spirit of God. It was, he breathed on men of old to write these things down. And this word is quick. It's powerful. In, in other words, it says this word is alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides asunder between the soul and the spirit. It's amazing. So Jeremiah said this. He said, your words were found and I ate them. Your words were found and I ate them. That word, you know, that word from, from the Hebrew, it says, you know, you could eat it like food, or it could be figuratively, like I took in, I consumed, I devoured your word. I devoured your word. I didn't just nibble on it. I devoured your word. He said, and your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name. Oh, Lord, God of hosts. He said, as I started to devour the word, it became the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. So why is that significant? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So as we begin to partake of the word, not debating it, not digging down so deep, but allowing the spirit of God to reveal it to it, we start to rejoice in figuring out everything that Jesus has done for us, that we're not grinding away to somehow try to please God. We found out that what he did for us, right, brought us into that place, and now we live this life that is fully pleasing him. I love that song. I love that, that verse or chorus or whatever Jonathan came up with. I live to please you. That's what the Apostle Paul said. Man, when I enter into this relationship with you, I just want to be pleasing to you. I want to walk in this joyous relationship with you. Not this tough grind, this hard uh, trying to figure it out, but I, I just want to live in a place that is just where I know our hearts are knit together. Amen? And so in Ephesians chapter 1, in Ephesians chapter 1, we begin to, to open up the book of Ephesians a, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we'll get rolling here a, a little bit quicker, but as we introduce it and we begin to, to look at some things, you know, we, we just started. This is how packed full uh, what Paul wrote to the Ephesian church is as we begin to look at it, you know, he opens up and he, he addresses the fact that he's addressing the saints. He's addressing people who have been made holy. 
So right immediately, you know, just like others, but in our modern day, we have to break the thought. You know, we have, he, he just said to all the saints who are at Ephesus, to, all the cha- to everybody who's accepted Jesus Christ and understand what that means to them, that the power of sin has been broken by the blood of Jesus received. You've been washed, cleansed. You've been made holy. You've been washed so that you can stand before him in his presence. And that's what that word saints means. And so we don't have to go before and prove how many miracles that we've done to be set aside. Jesus, by his blood, set us aside and he made us holy. So we have to know he's, he's already addressed us like Jesus made you holy. And then he, he begins to break it down and, and explain it as we read through it. He's, he calls you blessed with every spiritual blessing. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, right? He says you're chosen by him from the very beginning. He chose you. Praise the Lord. He's not stuck with you. He chose you. We saw that Paul said, listen, you might have been outcast before, but you're loved and you're accepted by God. That's pretty good. He made you a saint. He made you holy. Right? He blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Right? He chose you to be his from the very beginning, to be his son, to be his daughter. That's what he wanted from the very beginning. Sin messed that up. But after sin messed that up, he loved you, he accepted you, and he redeemed you with his own precious blood. And in his redemption, he forgave you. Now, we're making some pretty good ground here. And after he forgave you and received that forgiveness, he saved you. And after he saved you, he sealed you. He sealed you with a signet. You're his. You belong to him. Come on, the enemy just tries, well, then why are you acting this way? Well, because you don't know that. But he sealed you, and he gave you the Holy Spirit as guarantee. Well, I don't know. I don't know about this life. He said, the Holy Spirit of God lives on the inside of you. And when you know that, when you realize that, when you understand that, he said, you know, what I've received in my salvation is something that is not just a religious idea. It's something that is actively working on the inside of me every single day. My relationship with him isn't from here to heaven. My relationship with him is so intricately woven. He's in me and I'm in him. And it's such a dynamic spiritual force. And so when he gets to that point, here now in verse 15, Paul says, I've, I've told you all this stuff, and now, he said, I've seen some things, and I'm writing to you, and I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, your love for all the saints. So he said, listen, your faith in Jesus Christ has done something. It stirred something in you where you love one another. Again, that love that really takes place on the inside of us, we've been talking about this in the morning services, but that love is a distinguishing factor in us, a distinguishing factor in us. Paul prays a powerful prayer here uh, that pertains to them, but you know, something I found interesting as you look through the epistles of Paul that's a little bit different than how we respond in prayer. And again, don't get me wrong because, uh, you know, when people are in need, we certainly want to pray for them. But Paul didn't say, after I heard of your distress and your persecution and the problems that you've encountered, I pray for you. See, we think, man, if somebody's doing good, I don't need to pray for them. But man, we got we to pray about those problems. But Paul said this, he said, after I heard 
about your faith in Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I never cease to pray for you. He said there's something really divinely connected as you're growing in God and your faith is there and your love for one another is there. I know there's some things that still need to grow and so I'm praying. I'm not praying for things that continually disrupt. I'm praying for things that will grow you so that when difficulty comes, you are prepared. You're prepared. So sometimes we just pray for somebody and their problem. They seem to be doing good. We quit praying for them. So they go from problem to problem. We go from prayer to prayer. But Paul said, I'm going to pray for you because you're doing good, and I'm going to pray the things necessary so when you encounter difficulty, you know what to do to keep proceeding through that problem. And so when we know that and we understand that these are inspired prayers uh, by the Spirit of God, we can pray these prayers just like this. We can pray the essence of them for ourselves, for our family, uh, for others in the body of Christ. We pray on a regular basis, the staff, myself, we pray these things for you as, as our church body uh, and as the body of Christ. And so he goes on and he says, I never cease to pray for you. I don't cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So he begins to pray here, you know, that God may give unto you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And so he's not praying that it's something different, that a spirit from the outside is going to come and do something. He's beginning to pray this life that you now have in Christ, because you're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. You've entered into this relationship with Jesus, that now the Holy Spirit, that spiritual death that you had before Christ, is that your human spirit was separated from God's spirit. That's spiritual death. When man sinned, he chose his own way. He got separated from God's spirit. When he was created, God breathed his life, breathed his spirit into man. And so he created him and God's spirit lived in man's spirit. When he disobeyed in the garden that day, man died. Well, he didn't just fall over dead. Something happened. Something drastic happened in that day when he was walking with God. He had so much glory on him. He had so much going that he, that he was naked and he was not ashamed. Well, that, that doesn't mean we all should go nude. Right? People are like, you know, why don't we all? Well, because sin hit, we were ashamed. Actually, what it means is every single thing about their life was open to God. There was nothing at all that they had to be ashamed of. They were just walking with God. He created them that way, walked with them in the cool of the day. They had that close, intimate fellowship with him. Nothing hindered that fellowship. Man, that was awesome. Spirit to spirit, his life in them. Then they were tempted. They decided they knew better than God. They chose their way rather than God. I want to do my own thing. I want to go ahead and eat of this tree no matter what you said. And so he said, the moment you made that self-choice, the wages of sin was death. The, the moment you decided, I'll do my own thing apart from God, what happened? The result of that was you started living apart from God. We have to see that that point when God gave us choice. You know, we look at it like, why didn't God do something? God did everything he needed to do. He created everything. It was so wonderful. 
When we make it so religious, it gets to be a grind. It's just practical. He said, listen, you're living with me. I've given you all this. I've created all the earth here in the garden, man. Everything you need, animals, uh, trees, be, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion. Uh, even in the middle of this garden is the tree of life. You can partake of the tree of life over and over and over again. Live forever with me. That's what I want from the very beginning. But there's a tree over there. It's called the knowledge of good and evil. He said, the moment you eat that, the moment you ponder whether what I want is better than what God wants, you'll start to decide, oh, I want something. And when you decide what you want is better than what God wants for you, you'll decide to go away from God, and you'll separate yourself from the very life of God. And so when they did that, then they went, oh, my God, we're naked. In other words, no longer can we be totally open with God, so they went and did what? They hid themselves. That's what sin will do, your choice with that. But then at the new birth, then we go through the process. Jesus came to do what? To break the power of that so that we could enter into the life with God. So he didn't want to just be with us. He wanted to be in us. He wanted to secure that life. So he wants us to know that when we're born again, his spirit comes to live in our spirit. Right? You may know that. But many times when we're asking for wisdom and revelation or understanding, we're like, where's it going to come from out there? No. What Paul is praying, that if you understand everything that I've just previously written of who you are in Christ, what God has done for you, on the inside of you, God, by the Holy Spirit in your spirit, is working a wisdom, a knowledge, a supernatural uh, increase of knowing and revealing who God is and who you are in Him. It's going from the inside, like if I could just know more. But the relationship that we have begins to bring wisdom and revelation as we take those steps to pray and to to understand that God lives in us and to look in the word and the revelation comes. The spirit of God is working with that word to say, this is who you now are. You're no longer going your own direction apart from me. We're going a direction and you're to be going it with me, not apart from me. When we understand that, we begin to hear his voice. Things begin to open up to us. We're like, how am I going to do that? I mean, I, when, when I woke up this morning, I wanted to do some stuff, and I knew it wasn't right, and I just wanted to do it. What am I going to do about that? Well, you're going to begin to pray because the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you, and he wants to open up to you that that is no longer your life going your own way. But when you can know the way that I have planned for you, and what I've, I, I've brought into your life, now all of a sudden it starts to unveil. It starts to peel back some things. It starts to reveal some things about us now in Christ that we need to know. That Paul said, I, I need you to know this. And the only one that can reveal it to us is the Spirit of God. And so we want to know. Don't you want to know? And he's so good to let us know. We'd like somebody just to tell us. Kind of. If somebody could just tell me what to do. But what I know is the last time somebody told you what to do. And how did that make you feel? So we always have a problem, don't we? Why doesn't somebody just tell me what to do? And somebody tells me what to do. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> and so we, we, we always get to that point of we like, we want it both ways. When I need help and I can't do anything, why didn't somebody just tell me? And when you tell me, I think I already got it. And so it mixes us up. We live a confused life, and that's of the enemy. But God doesn't want you confused. He wants to show you 
He wants to guide you. He wants to help you. And he wants to do it in phases where we'll open up to him. And he'll say, I'll peel this back and you'll have a revelation of who you are in me, what I have planned for you, and how you take the next step in that. And then when you take that step in that, I'm going to peel back something else and you'll take another step in that. And we call it growing up spiritually. One step at a time, it's revealed to us who we are in Christ. We begin to grow up spiritually. And so when he's praying about this spirit of wisdom and revelation, he's not just praying out from the outside, all of a sudden I'll get wiser and I'll see something. He says, no, it's the Holy Spirit in your spirit, a spiritual influence, a spiritual moving that really begins not spirituality, the Holy Spirit in your spirit revealing what Christ did for you and who you are in him and who he is in you to empower us. Right? So he goes on in that same thought that you, the, the eyes of your understanding, some translations say the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, would be enlightened. So again, we begin to see, and he says, what is the expectation of your calling? Or what is the expectation? He doesn't just stop in your calling. He says, I want you to have this spiritual wisdom, this revelation of who you are now in Christ and what that means to you and have it pulled back in three different areas, in three realms, in three parts. One, what is the hope of your calling? In other words, who are you now and what is God's plan for you to walk in right now? I want to enlighten that to you because you're different now. You're not just doing the same old thing in the same old way for the same old end result. You're no longer just trying to get to the end of this life and say, I did a good job and retire and go to the beach. He said, I put eternity in your heart and what you do in time has an effect on eternity. And what I want to do with you right now is for you to know that there's an importance and a purpose to your day-to-day life. There's an importance when you have interaction with other people that you're bringing something to the table, so to speak. You're bringing an influence from the Spirit of God on the inside of you. That's why love is so important, why joy is so important, why peace is so important, because they, it's really not in the world. They're, they're, they're anxious to their mind is blowing up. There's sadness, there's anger everywhere. There is no self-control anymore. And he's going to get to that as he writes this letter, what the Spirit of God is doing in our spirit. But he's praying, and then he'll begin to lay it out as he writes the letter. And so he's praying that this will be opened up to us so that we'll know that we're not called to the things that the world has really produced for us, but we're called to something higher. We're called to become more like him. And the revelation of that calling to become more like him not dominated by sin, but living under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And again, the revelation of that and the realization of what that means. You know, in Romans chapter 6, and we've said this before, but I think it bears repeating when we, when we look at it and we think about the two uh, uh, portions of our life that when we've come to Jesus Christ, we've been raised from the dead. Paul says this, he said, don't you know now that you're no longer under this same slavery of sin that the law and legalism brought to you? He said, but now that you know that you're redeemed, if you give yourself over as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, in other words, if you just say, well, I'm going to do whatever I want anyway, regardless of God, he said that will start to dominate your life again. You'll become a slave of sin. But if you understand and give yourself over to righteousness or to this brand new relationship that you have with Jesus Christ, then you'll become a slave of that righteousness. So somebody will say, well, what's the difference? I'm a slave of something. Well, the difference is is when Jesus is Lord, he's the master. He's also your creator. 
So when you come under that lordship, it says the lordship of sin brings destruction. The thief only comes but to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But Jesus came to give us life and give us life more abundantly. And sometimes, you know, we're weaving in and out. We're trying to weave in and out. So we experience destruction. We call upon him for life. But he says, in the midst of all this, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. So when you're a slave of righteousness that governs your life, that's different because he's the one who created you. So when you're under his lordship, he's guiding you in the avenue to be fulfilled in the very thing that he created you to fulfill. And he's the only one that knows that fully. So when you yield to him as master, he's the one that can guide and direct you so that you can be fulfilled in your divine purpose. But even when we start to see that divine purpose, we're like, I got it now. Give it to me. I got it now. Instead of daily saying, keep my heart open, keep my heart enlightened so that I every single day become more and more like you. Secondly, he said, I want your heart to be enlightened, this knowledge of him to come in the aspect of you know or you understand the wealth of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. In other words, he said this before. He said, when you came into Jesus Christ, there was an inheritance. You became a saint of God. And it's twofold when we understand that. We think, well, there's an inheritance for me. I'm really going to, you know, I want to see the riches of that, that, that inheritance. But really, when we joined in that fellowship with God, God got something very valuable in that redemption. And that was rejoining us to him. We don't want to take God out of the equation. He wants to open up and say, listen, when you came to me, that was so valuable to me. God didn't take that lightly. God didn't go, well, finally, you just got saved. What were you waiting for? No, for every sinner that gets saved, all of heaven breaks out in rejoicing. I mean, there is something that goes on in heaven that we can't even comprehend. He said all of heaven heaven, that whole realm, the family. You know, there's a family in heaven and in earth. There's people who've gone before. When, when one person turns and gives their life to Jesus, there's a huge rejoicing in heaven. And so our inheriting the very life of God through the new birth, to, he wants us to know the wealth, the riches of the glory and the glory of that, how much it means to God. So once again, when we know how much that means to God, we don't take it lightly. Well, You are so blessed to have me, God. No, we understand how valuable that was. That was the very purpose. When man went away from God, from that moment on, he declared to the serpent, I'm going to bruise your head, and you're going to bruise his heel. I'm going to bring Jesus, and he's going to die. I'm going to pay the price that nobody else can pay to redeem you unto myself. So if you don't think that's valuable to God, come on. He paid the highest price that's ever been paid in anywhere, any place, for anything. He put a great value on that. And he said, I want, to, I want you to know how valuable that is. Because when we truly know and have a revelation of how valuable that is to God, that we accepted, we understood and accepted the price paid. And we came unto him. He values that immensely. And he wants us to know how much we value that because there's something in knowing these things about God. Like we said this morning, we love him, not because we just said, you know, I think I'll try loving you. 
That never works. It says we love him because he first loved us. So instead of trying to make God love us, when we realize, wow, God, this is how much you love me. Wow, this is how much you love me. Wow, as stupid as I was, as much as nobody else thought I was worth anything, as cast aside as I was, as people used me and abused me, as people falsely accused me, as people have done all the things to you that they might have done to you, that's not what God did. Well, God just allowed it. I don't think, no, God didn't do any of that. The whole rhetoric, you know, that if God is so loving, why would God send anybody to hell? Man, I don't even know how that got propagated so, so widely with the Bible being evident that God's not sending anybody to hell. People are choosing to go. God sent Jesus to rescue people so they wouldn't have to go to hell. He's not sending them. But if they reject Jesus, they made a choice to live forever without God. And if you live forever without God, that is in a place called hell. Right? So we twist it. We put everything on God. But God says, listen, I've done all this for you. And the moment you realize how much I loved you and truly embrace it, you'll start to love me in a way that you never thought you could possibly love anybody. When you realize how valuable your life is to me, you will place a different value on your own life. And you will not spend your life on things that will just waste your energy. See, people are wearing out their life. They're doing stuff and they're just getting wore out. They're getting spent. They're feeling uh, uh, abused. They're growing weary. Why? Because they spend their life on things of little value. But when we realize, man, this is what God did for me. I'm so valuable. I'm so valuable. Why would I spend my life on that? Why would I give my life over to that? That's what he wants us to distinguish. With Jesus as my Lord. With him giving me the fullness of life, why would I spend the energy and value of my life to something that in a few days will not matter, or if it does matter, it'll matter because it's turning from the joy or the light that I thought it was to darkness and destruction. So he says, I want you to know the riches or the wealth or the value of the glory of his inheritance for us as saints. Then the third thing, which is very uh, important to us, it's very valuable. He said the exceeding greatness of his power. So he comes up with four, four emphasis, right, of his power that he wants us to recognize and that he wants us to know. Four things. First of all, the exceeding greatness, which he means this, that, which is, that, that, that which goes over and above and beyond. The exceeding greatness of his power. He wants us to know that the power that is inherent in him that he puts in us is exceedingly great. It's bigger, it's better, it's more. Right? We keep relying upon our own strength, our own stuff. When he said, there's something that I'm giving unto you that will cause you to go over and above. 
say, well, if all that's happening, preacher, why, why, why aren't we having such strength and exceeding power? Because we don't know it. We haven't slowed down and sat in his presence long enough for the Holy Spirit to get in our spirit and open it up and reveal to us, right, the hope of our calling, the value of our inheritance, the glory of our inheritance, and the exceeding greatness of this power, which is really cool. So he uses these words, first of all, the exceeding greatness of his power, that word dunamis, right? That word dunamis, which is uh, really uh, miracle working power or power that is inherent in God. It's already inherent. That miracle working power, that, that it's just naturally inherent in God. He said, I want you to know the power of God because he's going to reflect that that power is in you. So he says the working of his power or the working of this, that is energio and it's power exercise. So he said there's, there's going to be power that's inherent, but he says, I'm talking about power that is exercised. He talks about mighty power, power that is manifested in strength. Manifested in strength, right? And then the last time that he says his mighty power, he's just talking about strength or power as an endowment. So he says, he says, I want you to know, I want you to have a revelation, I want you to be enlightened that there is mighty power that was released towards us who believe. How many of you are believers? He said, when you believed in Jesus Christ, I released power. Power for what? Power to overcome the sin that had been dominating your life. The thoughts, the emotions, the direction that you just had to go. I can't help it. I just got to go that direction. I know it's not right, but I can't help it. Right? There's a place where like, you know what? That looks good, and I think I'm going to do that. You know, I think I'm going to, you know, uh, do these. I, I want to hang out with these people. I want to do this. I want to be like them. And then all of a sudden you find out down the road, it's like, you know what? This wasn't so great to be like them. And I don't want to be like them anymore. And we're like, I'm not going to be like them anymore. But then all of a sudden you come to a situation and go, somebody says, why were you like that? Well, I don't want to be like that, but I can't help it. Have you ever had that in any area of your life? I don't like it. I don't want it, but I can't help it. That's yielding to the power of sin. That's how powerful sin is. That it's first your own decision, but then when you try to change that, you can't help but continue to go that direction. In many areas, we just call it an addiction. Right? You gave yourself over to it and thought it was great, but now you can't change it without doing something totally different. Well, the way to break that essentially and overall is by the power of God. So when we believe, he says, I've given you power to break through all the power of sin, the very, the, the very power that was inherent in me. Right, that I operated, I demonstrated, I manifested in raising Christ from the dead, now belongs to you who believe. Right? So it's not like, hmm, let me see what kind of power this is. 
He said, no, it's my mighty power, the same power that I used to create the world, the same power that I, I used to raise Jesus from the dead. It's in me. It's already in me, but I've come to live in you to bring my power. My power for what? The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that you raised from the deadness of sin. And it's manifested. I've already manifested. I've made it known to you. But one thing you need to know is you possess it when the Spirit of God comes to live on the inside of you. It's mighty power. So he said, when you know that you have that mighty power, that same resurrection power, that same life, when sin comes knocking at the door and says, you can't help it, you say, oh, yes, I can. Something's changed in my life. I'm no longer trying to do this all by myself, but I have a helper. I have the power of God. And that endowment of power, that same power, that manifested power, that operative power that's inherent in God has now been endowed upon me as a son and a daughter, as a believer. It's been released or endowed upon me by the Holy Spirit of God. That's why he said, now you wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high to be witnesses. So he doesn't want us feeling helpless at all of those situations of life that come, but he wants us to be confident that we have power to overcome. We have strength to overcome, that he's developing in us what self-control, that power to say no to things that would take us down the wrong path inherent power. And he goes on to say, and there's another thing that I want you to know that they translated as power. He said, I want you to know that there's authority. When I raised Christ from the dead, I raised him far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but that which is to come. Right? And I put everything under his authority, Jesus' authority. And he's the head over all things to the church, that's you and, uh, you and me, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything. So he said, I've not only given you power to overcome sin, but I've given you authority over those things that were dogging your tracks. Those things that seem to just out of the blue take authority over you. In mindsets, in, in, in deception, in thinking something that you knew wasn't right. He said, I've given you authority to say no to all those things. I've given you authority. He said, I give you authority over all serpents and scorpions, over all the power of the enemy, so that nothing shall by any means hurt you. So in just talking about this, I haven't told you anything that most of you don't know. But when was the last time you exercised that power? When temptation came, when your own way came, and you said, you know, I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to. And I have just enough faith to ask for forgiveness after I do it. Isn't that mind-boggling, how we talk ourselves into doing what we want to on the basis of he'll forgive me later. If we just believed a little bit more in the fact that he gave us the power to not do it as we did in the forgiveness after we do it, we'd walk in a lot less guilt and shame. Because then we do it, you know, we talk ourselves, well, I'll do it, and then I'll ask for forgiveness later. Well, then we do it, and we usually take five or six days, maybe sometimes two months, three years, to actually go back and say, I did it. Forgive me. Because we think, well, I knew I was going to do it. How can I go ask him for forgiveness? That would just be wrong. I can't do it. So you start to see what, what happened. 
No, didn't know how to take authority. Now the enemy hasn't just tempted me into making my own choice, but once I did, he started to govern. And instead of uh, saying, oh, you made that, why don't you go ask for forgiveness? He goes, oh, you can't ask for forgiveness now. Oh, man, now everybody knows, and everybody's going to call, everybody's judging you, and you need to just get away from the church, get away from God. And all of a sudden, you're so far away from God. Why? Because you didn't exercise authority. So one, we didn't know how to exercise power to not enter into it. Then secondly, we didn't know we had authority over all those forces that said, don't, don't, get over here, get isolated, get into more of a mess. But if we knew those two things, one, we wouldn't do it. And two, when he came tempting us, we'd say, nope, get out of my life. Leave me alone. You have no place here. So it's one thing to know it, right, and say, I believe it. But Paul said, I want you, I want some, I'm praying for you that this synergy of the Holy Spirit in your spirit will begin to open it up in such a degree that you see it so clearly that your desire to rise to your calling of not just being another sinner, not just being average person, average Joe walking the street, but becoming more like Jesus every day, that you see the value of your life and the inheritance of all that heaven has to offer because God has provided everything for us and how valuable that is to God that you see it so clearly. I see where I'm going in life, my life changing and being transformed. I see how valuable that is. And in order to get there, I see the power that he's given me to overcome sin and to take authority of the enemy's tactics against me because now I'm in him. And he's in me. He's my head. I'm his body. And I'm filled with everything that he has and everything that he is. Paul said, this is good news because I'm about to tell you what you used to be and that you're not that anymore because of the great love of God. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Aren't you thankful for the word? God's so good. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify you for this night. I pray. Father, that you'll create a a greater desire, a hunger in us for the Word of God, to know you better, to have the spirit of wisdom, revelation in the knowledge of you. The eyes of our heart would be flooded with light, that we might see these things more clearly than we ever have before, that we don't fall into a religious rut but we truly begin to experience every day this amazing life in Christ that you've given to us. We experience the joy of it. We experience the peace of it. We experience the goodness of it. We experience the the patience that's in it. We experience the self-control that comes from it. God, we get to experience the faithfulness of how you were faithful to do what you said, and now it's imparted to us to remain faithful to that which you've called us to. That we're not just trying to do something, but we get to experience this life with you. Open it up to us by your spirit more and more every day. That it wouldn't be a drudgery on those days to be a Christian, but it would be a joy and a rejoicing of our hearts as we see and apply your word to every day of our life. We thank you for it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you need prayer for anything uh, this evening, the, the...